Warm greetings to all our brethren, friends, and family around the world. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2009. This glorious festival pictures the coming kingdom of God on earth. God has given us the awesome mission to preach the good news of tomorrow's world. And he has also called us all to be the light of the world, to be a shining light on a hill. Jesus said this in Matthew 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The Tomorrow's World program is reaching hundreds of thousands of viewers each week. Through the powerful medium of television, the church provides a warning and a witness and proclaims the hope of Christ's kingdom on earth. In this year's feast film, the staff who produces the Tomorrow's World program will give you a behind-the-scenes look at the telecast in their own words. We hope you enjoy Shining the Light. The Living Church of God presents Festival 2009, Shining the Light. all because God commanded that. Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached to all the world as a witness. And he said, go unto all the world and preach the gospel. Several commands tell us, command us to do that. Secondly, the world is in a horrible mess. And more than ever, in the sense of every country everywhere, it seems, is in trouble in one way or the other without me describing it for the next 30 minutes. The world desperately needs right government, and it does not have right government anywhere. The government of God through Jesus Christ is absolutely crucial to bringing genuine peace and prosperity and happiness to this world. Because the Bible says so. God wants us to preach the gospel all over the world before the end comes. Uh, much of the world, of course, has not heard that gospel. And we are to be witnessing to the world. So Christ is the one who opens the doors. It epitomizes everything that God is trying to create in us. God is trying to create love, outgoing concern. How can we sit back with this incredible message, uh, the only real hope that mankind really has, and not want to tell everybody about that? Is the Catholic Church doing? No. What about the, you know, the mainstream churches? They don't talk about the kingdom of God. No, we are the people that know about those things, and so it's been commissioned to us to do the job. And so that's why we've got to do it. Ezekiel 33 and verse 7, the warning that we must warn Israel is the watchman, and if we don't do that, the blood will be on our heads. And, of course, another reason for witnessing to the world is that, as it tells us in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, 
that if when they are in captivity, that they seek God, God will forgive them and call them. So there may be multiple millions of people, even during the captivity, who will have heard the warning, will have heard the prophecies, and at that time will repent. So God knows who he's going to call, but our job is to warn and to witness and to preach the gospel, the good news, so people can repent and be baptized and be a part of the body of Christ as God calls them. It is of absolute importance for us to use the doors God has opened to us because it is a command of Jesus Christ. We have to obey that command to preach to all nations, to preach to every creature the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we have the privilege of being used by God in that task. And we better do it, my friend. I'm very grateful we can go up to the next step, and it's very important so we can have a more professional program and help get the message of Christ out to the world with greater effectiveness. As we uh, were preparing to remodel the studio um, in our existing headquarters building to get us ready to go to high definition or uh, digital television, uh, it became obvious to us that the place we had was not optimum for a studio. Uh, it was a little cramped. The ceilings were at the right height. And most of all, our studio was located over a working warehouse uh, where our mail room, our mail processing department is located. And so there's the noise of deliveries and the lo- no- of shipments and the forklift and the folding machines. And so when we were shooting television, we basically had to shut the warehouse down. So as we were thinking about that, uh, this building became available. The contractor that did the work for us is a church member named Mark Barrett. Mr. Barrett operates uh, Appalachian Renovations, a commercial remodeling company, very experienced in doing this type of work. Uh, He was able to work with our architect and with the plans and did a fine job uh, in bringing the job in on time and on budget. Dan Harp is our buildings and ground supervisor. Dan has a depth of experience in construction. Uh, that turned out to be very helpful in the construction of this building because Dan then was able to act as a go-between between between, uh, uh, my office and the contractor and the architect and the city, coordinate getting materials onto the building site as we needed them, uh, dealing with all sorts of things that come up in any construction project. Our old television studio in the other building was workable, but it was not really ideal. Mr. Thomas Bach, our director at the seminars he would go to, National, would ask the question, who is a good set designer? Because we knew our old set was not adequate for high definition. And oftentimes the answer would always come up, Ken Gelbach. Well, who is Ken Gelbach? I began to talk with uh, Mr. Baca when the need became apparent. We needed to have a design for a new studio. We're getting closer to the deadline for high definition and digital television. What can we do? So Mr. Baca said, Ken Gelbach is the one who's most prominently recommended. Well, where is Mr. Gelbach? Where is he? In Charlotte, North Carolina. So I said, Thomas, call Mr. Gelbach. So he called Mr. Gelbach that morning. And uh, Gelbach Design, we were, I think it was a, a, a tremendous blessing to have a design company like that right here in Charlotte. And they've made sets for ESPN and for other major shows and, and networks. We worked with dynamic sights and sounds for the lighting. We had to get the electricians together. We had to get the, the sound uh, lighting people together uh, to make sure that uh, there were outlets in the, in the right locations spread, spread around you know, correctly for all the juice that we needed to run all these different lights and the equipment that we have in here. And uh, that, that took a lot of uh, collaboration and, of course, you know, oversight by Dr. Meredith Mr. Ames and making sure that everything's going, going well and going smoothly. And, and uh, I think God guided and, and blessed that process. The new studio is just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I didn't know what to expect, but I have found it so easy, so much easier uh, to operate in this new set than the old set. I feel comfortable here. I feel very relaxed and uh, I enjoy it. It's exciting, actually. It really is exciting. 
This set is amazing. Actually, this is my first day to be on the set, and I just, I'd love to camp out here for a while and hang around. It is just absolutely amazing. I remember Mr. Tom Baca telling me early on about the telecast is part of his dream would be that he really believed that the telecast is a quality program, that the material we offer and, that the, and, and, and our work is, is of great quality, and how important it is to make sure that the set reflects the quality of what we're offering people. And I really think this set does that. It is fantastic. This building has, has enabled all of us to get together, television, uh, CAV for the sermons that go out, and the DVDs and special projects, behind the work um, like you're watching right now, the LU special projects and LU projects that are, that are going out, for there to be a common place for all that media, um, video production type of media, television production media, audio production media, to all be done in a, in a centralized location is just so beneficial and it's such a blessing to the work and we thank God for, for giving us this building and allowing us to, the, to be part of that and we thank God for it and it's, it's been very special and this, there was a great need for it. Uh, I told my friend, Mr. Dillon King, when I entered the new studio and I, I, I felt, uh, I saw the design of the studio and, and just to, to understand that this is what God is using and using His church to, to, to announce this message. When I entered, I told Dylan King, I, 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 I thought I entered into a new dimension. Of course, this is where the new dimension of the kingdom of God is being announced. And that was the impression I received when I entered the studio. And I feel, I feel so honored to be able to use these facilities and we will use them more and more, of course, to continue to proclaim this message. I first heard Mr. Armstrong back in the autumn of 1944 when the Second World War was still raging. I was just 14 years old. I was very interested in the war because of our older high school boys went off to war. Some of them got out early and went off and some were killed and I was excited by violence and activity as a young man anyway, so I was watching the world news a lot at that time, more than I might have been in some other time, but I was hearing all the time what was happening, and Mr. Armstrong described what was happening, and he talked about Germany being bombed and pulverized uh, by British bombers by night, because they had radar before we did, and American bombers by day, but he said Germany would come back and would lead a coming United States of Europe, a coming United Europe, and that that would happen, and many other things that did begin to happen. So it was exciting to me as a young man. My first experience listening to Mr. Armstrong was rather accidental. I had gotten out of the Army in December 1959, and I was depressed. I was trying to compensate by getting mail to encourage me. That was my, my way of coping with depression. And I just heard this free literature on the radio, Box 111, Pasadena, California, free magazine. And I just wrote it on a slip of paper, put it away. And finally, later on, when I was wanting to get all kinds of literature, I just perfunctorily sent that in and began getting the Plain Truth magazine in January 1960. When I was asked to teach eighth grade Sunday school class in the fall, I began reading the Plain Truth magazine for source material, since the local church material is very boring and uh, not very substantive. It so happened that the series in the Plain Truth magazine was the Ten Commandments written by Roderick C. Meredith. And I began teaching the Sunday school class those commandments as written up in the Plain Truth magazine. I've been with Mr. Armstrong since the first time I met him in 1955. The last time I saw him was in 1986 few days before his death. I've known him, I've traveled with him, I've spoken with him, I've consulted with him. He baptized me, he ordained me, he performed my wedding, what have you. Therefore I know him, I respected him, I still do. I think he did have something all of us here today do need very much. The zeal, the sincerity, and the determination to finish the job. And greetings, friends. This is Roderick C. Meredith with the good news of the world tomorrow. 
the very first time I went on the radio were three or four programs that I shared with Richard David Armstrong because he and I had just returned from Europe in 1954. We'd been over there three and one half months, not weeks, but months, and spent quite a bit of time on the continent during that period of time, about six weeks on the continent beside being in Britain. And so we had knowledge and understanding of what was happening, and Mr. Armstrong uh, interviewed us and later had Ted interview us, and we did these programs, uh, the two of us, and then one I think I did alone uh, at that point, uh, describing the trip. And then later I was on, and I did a dozen programs at that time just completely on my own. And I was encouraged by the response because it wasn't a big loss of responses, even though my Midwestern twang came through and I didn't have the Armstrong voice. But the message is the main thing in the end, and so that was an opportunity. In the eighth grade, our uh, class was had the responsibility of doing a, a radio drama at our local radio station in uh, New London, Connecticut, WNLC. It was the 300th anniversary of New London, Connecticut, and we did it a little drama. That was, that was my first introduction to radio. Later on, when I played football in high school, my junior year of high school, we lost all of our games, but my name was a little prominent in the local newspaper. I was in, not out for varsity basketball, so I was going to, I love basketball, so I thought, well, I'll join the local boys club in Meriden, Connecticut. And when I talked to the director of the boys club, it cost me a dollar to join, he said, Dick, what do you want to do when you graduate? When you, when, what do you want to do for a career? I'd never really given any thought, but since I had a little experience with radio broadcasting, he said, well, I want to be a radio announcer. And so he picked up the telephone right then and there, called up the local radio station, WMMW, talked to the program manager, and said, you know, I've got a young man here who is uh, popular in the high school. Uh, would you like to give him an audition? So... I had an audition, went down to the local radio station. It so happened that gentleman Jim McGovern, who had the DJ show, the request program from 3 to 6 every afternoon for teenagers, was leaving the station. And so the door opened up for me. I was trained on the board also to do advertising, also to, of course, read the news. So that was my first introduction to radio. Uh, later on in college at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, uh, they had, of course, a local radio station, a campus radio station. I started off as an announcer, became chief announcer, became uh, program director, and finally president of WRPI. My first time on television was, of course, uh, well, I can't remember the exact year. I was on radio in our global Church of God as we first started this present work, and the response was okay, but it was not really good and we heard that other groups were going on television, and uh, so we decided to try television. And Mr. Ames is not with us yet, uh, but we had very good response, even from the beginning, because television tended to reach a lot more people and move them to action. And then Mr. Richard Ames came on, and the response went up even more, because he had an even better radio voice and experience in doing the television program in the worldwide church, and uh, so our responses have been very, very good ever since then. And even my response got up as I, as he helped me pointing out various things to do. It was my idea to have other young men on because Mr. Ames and I are getting somewhat older. We don't always know what the future holds. God does not promise that all of us will live to be 90 or 100 or 110. <laughs> we realize that. And we're bringing along these young men. And Mr. Rod King has been one of my favorite preachers because he has this interesting, uh, rich, deep voice and British accent and tremendous historical understanding and, and humor. You know, the, the way that I was asked to be a presenter was a most interesting uh, experience. Uh, I had come across for a Council of Elders meeting at the end of 2006, and uh, I gave a sermon on the United States and Great Britain's special relationship and uh, at the end of the sermon, I was uh, sitting and uh, uh, looking across, and Mr. Ames and uh, Mr. Dr. Meredith were in real conversation. And they kept looking across at me, and I thought, wow, maybe I said something wrong. Anyway, Mr. Ames came over and said, Rod, as only Mr. Ames can say, he said, Dr. Meredith would like you to take that 
sermon and uh, make it into a telecast. <laughs> and that was it. That was my first. Everything was so sort of uh, new and different. I mean, I was uh, reading from a teleprompter. Uh, uh, there was no audience. And so, frankly, I was a little bit wooden. Uh, I, did, I, I didn't know what I was, would look like because there's no sort of monitor that you can look at and say, oh, well, that's what I look like. I, uh, I just did it. And, and, when I, and actually what was interesting was that I didn't then get to see that telecast until it had been gone through all of the processes that are involved in you know, putting the subtitles and putting the, the, uh, like the scriptures and, and, and some of the, um, uh, the graphics. All of those had to go. I think it was about five or six months after I'd made my first program that I actually got to see it. And I couldn't believe it. I thought I looked like a penguin. My arms were out at the side. I looked as stiff as a board. And only then was I able to see what I really looked like. It, it, was, it was a strange experience. At this time, uh, I'm just about to make my 13th program. And, uh, and so what I've done is I've, I've watched my programs and thought, oh, no, you don't look like that, do you? Oh, that is terrible. Why did you wear that suit? And, you know, you become very, very critical of yourself. Uh, when you're watching it. Uh, you also feel disassociated uh, from what you're seeing on the screen. Uh, and you don't actually, well, you know it's yourself, but you, you don't actually feel like it's yourself. It's a, it's a funny sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Wally Smith actually went through a whole uh, interview series uh, with others auditioning and uh, immediately grabbed the attention of all the staff because he had this uh, charisma and a certain stage presence uh, and uh, he's doing very, very well and uh, is sort of a natural for TV, so we're very grateful for his help, too. I was first approached about the possibility of being on the telecast when I was in Kansas City. I was still working under Mr. Millich there, and I got an email from Mr. Ames saying, well, Wally, we'd like you to come into Charlotte and audition for the telecast. And I do think I almost had to repair the keyboard of my computer because my jaw just 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 dropped, and that was a uh, that was an amazing moment. It was a, really a real surprise. So that was my first indication at all. Recording my first telecast was very different in a sense from my audition, because in the audition there there were no real stakes. I, I didn't know if these were going to be viewed by anybody other than those making the decision, and. Consequently, I felt very free. I felt very courageous in, in the audition. But once we started taping for real, I, I will be very frank, that was terrifying. That was the idea that, because I remember being that other guy on the screen. And I, all of a sudden, you, you, you want so badly for that person to understand the truth, that person to have the opportunity to know the things that we know and to live that life. And suddenly, I just felt this incredible burden. But then once the, the cameras started rolling, uh, the crew is so phenomenal. Uh, every time has been a joy. I've enjoyed everyone. My first experience with television was the audition that Mr. Armstrong had for so many of us. We learned uh, later by one of the men who worked backstage that the television crew thought that Roderick Meredith was the best of all of the presenters who tried out. As a preacher, you're used to looking at an audience and looking to the left, looking to the right. And here, I had to look at that one eye staring at me. And it just was difficult to think and not move my head. In fact, uh, we had a consultant that came along later because as I would talk, I would emphasize with my head. And we, my wife and I went over. She was a consultant to uh, professional presenters. And she had me talking with my head still. She sat me against the wall, had my head against the wall, so I had to talk without moving my head. So uh, anyway, that probably was one of the most difficult challenges to begin with, just to look at that single eye, that camera lens, and to think. It was very difficult for me to do. And so I began writing scripts, which made it much easier for me. How do I prepare for a television program? Well, normally, of course, we look at the topics, what programs you've already presented, what areas of doctrine or prophecy have not been presented recently, what is the need, what is the balance in the whole presentation. So I will consider several different topics and work on one of them. 
after which, of course, I do research. I ask uh, my executive assistant, Mr. Bomer, to do research. And then I will do personal research, begin an outline. And then after the outline, I'll begin typing, uh, typing the script. And it seems to me that that is probably one of the more inspiring activities or ways of presenting a program or preparing a program. It seems that I can think better on a typewriter or, obviously, on a computer these days in uh, presenting the program. Of course, the main thing is to pray and prepare. (laughs) And I pray a lot, and I prepare, and I don't do a complete uh, script, as Mr. Ames and some of the others do. I just do an outline and preach from that outline, as I'm used to doing in in services. So I have to prepare. I have to get uh, news clippings and biblical themes yet that would be helpful for the general public, what would be interesting to them, what would grab their attention and move them to want to know about God and be interested in the Bible. The major area of preparation for a telecast is just getting all your facts and all your information together and then sitting down at the computer and and writing a script. When it comes to preparing for a telecast, I eat a lot of macaroni and cheese. I just, uh, we'll cut that one. Most often the case, I do have an idea of something I'd like to talk about or something I'm, I've been studying, I'm particularly passionate about at the moment, or there's a particular booklet. Now, like I love the uh, Your Ultimate Destiny booklet, and I'll think, I want this in somebody's hands. So I will sometimes read through the booklet again to remind myself of some of the details and begin taking some notes. Generally, I'll make an outline. Sometimes uh, I do find it's helpful to have that structure, especially if I start wandering. And it gives me the freedom then to to develop different parts of the script in a different order. Sometimes instead of an outline, I'll do a mind mapping. That's where it gives you a little more free-flowing uh, consciousness to think, to write ideas as they're related to other ideas. And then it's a matter, usually I'll develop a script that is way too long, uh, not quite twice the size, but pretty close, and then just trying to narrow it down to really what is it that God's trying to say. The telecast, of course, has a very fixed format where you'll have the tease, you'll have the opening, you'll have the first segment, a lid offer, second segment, lid offer, third segment, close. The presenters, I've seen, they have different approaches to where they draw the material for telecasts. In some cases, I'll notice that Dr. Meredith will have given a sermon and then either three, five, ten days after a sermon, a significant portion of that sermon will be present with a few more facts and figures and newsy clips, let's say. Mr. Gwynn, if I recall correctly, did on occasion take one of his articles and use that as the jumping-off point for a telecast. With Mr. Ames, it's almost entirely the other direction where he will start with a telecast and then the telecasts will be turned into articles down the line. I know I had a script that I was trying to prune down because it was way too long, just immense. And I I had ideas where I thought I'd cut it, and I said, I gave it to Mr. Bomer and said, look, if you could trim this down to, I can't remember, 3,500, 3,700 words, I may not use your edits, but it would be a great help, and that would really get me in the right direction. Sure enough, he looked at it, he made a bunch of cuts and gave it back to me. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, well, he cut out some of my favorite parts. I I can't do this and I can't do that. So I tried to re-edit it, and I realized I couldn't. It was perfect. That was exactly the right script. And the parts that I loved so much needed to be cut. And actually, that particular telecast of mine, I think, was one of the highest responses I've had. A very gifted man, a real asset to God's work. As director of media operations, I have the responsibility of working with the new stations that come along and programming. Of course, Dr. Meredith has had a personal interest in this from the very beginning. Mr. Wayne Pyle has been a friend, a former student again in Ambassador College and a friend and assisted me at times when we first started the church and uh, now has migrated into his full job working with the media and the uh, public access stations and helping us get on new commercial stations and all kinds of things. So he's done a good job. He has a tremendous sense of enthusiasm and I think that comes across to many people as he deals with these outside station managers and others. 
Now, I have the opportunity as media coordinator to be able to work with three phone centers. I do work with the phone center that's over in England. I work with the one that's up in Canada, and I especially work with the one that's in Kansas City. So I'm working with them on a daily basis. I just got off a conference call just a couple hours ago going over the various problems we run into. Is They have hundreds of operators taking our calls, and so I'm constantly, I guess you could say, counseling them on how to answer our calls. People come along at different speeds depending on how they do come in contact with the work. And we found out over the years that those who come in through television or earlier in radio, but those who come in through television, they're being fed every week. Plus, they get the literature. They're getting our magazine every two months and then booklets as they request them. That people who do that, it usually takes them on average two years from the time they're added to the mailing list to the time they're baptized. That is, if God's calling them and they come in the church. Whereas if somebody comes through the magazine, for example, and this goes back to the Plain Truth days when we were a monthly magazine at that time, it would take them six to eight years from the time they're added to the list to the time they're baptized. And, that, and the reason is they're not being nourished like people are on weekly television. For us, the Living Church of God, we're having one baptism out of 300 people added to the mailing list. Whereas in Mr. Armstrong's uh, prime time uh, back uh, in the uh, late or during the 80s, it would be one out of a thousand would come to baptism. Uh, the big, uh, I guess you could say, caveat here is that Mr. Armstrong was adding millions of people, whereas we're adding tens of thousands. So uh, a lot more came in the church through Mr. Armstrong's time uh, numerically than what we have now, but proportionally we are having more baptisms. We take a very close look at the response to each station, and that's called CPR, cost per response. And, of course, if the cost per response is very high, we realize that's not a very productive station. We need to go on other stations that are more effective and are reaching the audience, and we're getting a bigger response. And, of course, we're always dealing with new technology, uh, the budgets, uh, that uh, uh, the cost for new equipment. Uh, those are always challenging. But uh, we have a great team here at, at headquarters, and we're very thankful for the people support, God's people supporting the work. <laughs> you know, people have asked me, uh, what's it like to be made up for TV? And all I can say is, I'm glad I'm not a woman. To be getting around with this uh, cakey stuff all over your face and your, and your eyes feeling sticky, and, and especially if it's warm, you just, the perspiration can't get away, and yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm not a woman. When I first started doing makeup, um, I got my training at the Makeup Institute in San Francisco. I was lucky enough to have an excellent um, educator, Bob Scribner. He used to be the head of the NBC department for years. He's worked on several major motion pictures like Lethal Weapon and sitcoms and normal broadcast anchor type makeup to fantasy movie makeup. Doing the makeup for the men, I know that they're uncomfortable when they first would come in because it's makeup on a man. They don't have to have the same applications that a woman would have. So it's easy. It's easy for me and it's easy on them. But they're a lot of fun. They just, uh, Mr. King will come in and sit there and have his whole, you know, dialogue with me doing every accent he can from Europe, Australia. This is not the work of Herbert W. Armstrong. England, um, New Zealand, and he just flows seamlessly and it just has me laughing the whole time. You realize, of course, that you're outnumbered in this room. Yeah. <laughs> there are three kings. We three kings of Orient. <laughs> and then Mr. Smith, he is a... He's a character, too, in the chair, and uh, he always jokes around and, and with the absurd, and he's, he's a lot of fun. And uh, I always tell them I'm going to spray paint their face, and they, they take it well. And Mr. Ames, Mr. Meredith, they've been doing it for years, so they are so used to it, and, and they're just, they're easy. They're very easy to work with, and, and uh, they let me do my thing. What is it like being made up for TV? Well, of course, it's very relaxing because you almost go to sleep. However, 
Our makeup artist here, uh, Susie Ruddleston, has had certifications, and one of them is with Mature Faces. So uh, she is an expert in that area, and with, particularly with high definition, that becomes more of an issue. I'll tell you one experience we had years ago, and it must have just been an oversight because we tried to be careful. There was one little hair sticking up at the top of my head. And when we saw the television program, it was very distracting. I could not listen to the message or uh, process the message. This was me, my watching myself. But that little hair was distracting. <laughs> Being made up is a great uh, a bit of fun. It's very different being made up for television. I actually did experience makeup in high school when I was being made up for The King and I and other plays that I was in. And I thought that part of my life was over. But it is it is very interesting. I, when I blow my nose, I have to be careful. I don't wipe off too much makeup in my hands. But with a complexion like mine, I need the makeup. So uh, uh, otherwise, I would look like a spirit being already. So it's good to have it. Well, I enjoy having Mrs. Meredith do the makeup, and she uh, helps. It's good to have her here for that, although with her... Family responsibilities, she's entertaining a lot of the church brethren and others, and that she may get behind, and then Mrs. Ruddleston does it when my wife can't, and both of them do a very fine job. After the makeup's applied, um, I stay in the control room and I watch the taping, because sometimes they're under the lights for a long period of time, so I will sometimes go in with a blotting tissue or more powder, but oftentimes with a blotting tissue, and make sure that they're not perspiring and shining, and it'll look different from part one to part two if we just leave it go. And and I also make sure that they don't have lint, and I try to make sure their tie is straight, but they move around, and so I don't always do that as well as I should, but I try and keep an eye on what they look like on screen. Lara Prejean takes care of the audio for the program and and he uses some very sophisticated equipment to make our voice crisp and clear or the voice of the presenters crisp and clear this is highly specialized equipment not just anybody could go in there and use it it, it takes a little time to learn how to use it and to learn how to use it well my experience in audio engineering goes back to probably started when i was 15 playing music and working sound the equipment that we use in um, processing the audio for the telecast, it would, st it would start off with a, a good quality mixing console, and then we take the signal and run it in through um, an equalizer and a, a compressor, and then there's another piece that we use called a, a sonic maximizer. So we try to make it sound as nice and as, 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 as natural as possible, but also give it a, a, a clear um, crispness, uh, to, to carry through to, along the lines of the uh, uh, news TV that's on right now. The better that you acquire the audio, the least amount of time you have to spend, you know, you have less time that you got to spend in post-production trying to fix it and EQ it. And we, we still do it, but it's, you know, you just put a little minor tweak on it that you have to do once it's in the avid and for post-production. Ray Pereira records audio for, for the blind, for all of our Tomorrow's World magazine articles and for all of our LCN news um, and also the Bible study courses. He's a fantastic audio engineer, so he, he's always here. He's always willing to help out in any way you need him, uh, and he does a great job recording audio. I use the Mac for, audit, uh, for editing, and the, my editing program is Pro Tools, which I like. It's very easy and uh, user-friendly, and so I like that. That's what I use for, for editing. For many years with the World Tomorrow television program, we had Art Gilmore, who was a nationally known announcer. He had done the uh, golden age of radio announcing in the 30s and 40s. And uh, as far as I know, even to this date, is still alive at age 97 and continued doing the radio program announcing for the World Tomorrow, even after Mr. Armstrong's death. The recognition of a professional voice is very important. Kevin Lee has now been doing this for the World Ahead program and now Tomorrow's World program. To have a recognizable professional voice that is consistent and articulate and recognizable is so very important. And we really appreciate Mr. Kevin Lee's production and his contribution to Tomorrow's World program. Oh, I've known Kevin for a number of years and... Uh... 
He's very loyal, very heartfelt in giving of himself to the work. And we're very grateful for his wonderful voice and personality and the things he has added to the, to the television program. When I was a young man, I, back in 1981, just fresh out of high school, I um, worked at a restaurant waiting on tables. And there was a, a man that came in who was a news anchor. He came in and said, you know, he said, you ought to be in broadcasting. You've got a voice that's powerful and strong. And said, you know, you really ought to consider getting into radio and then working into television. He said, you had a, had a, had a face for, for radio, <laughs> which is so true, you know. I started out back in 1981, worked in country radio as a disc jockey from 81 all the way up to uh, 1997 in Lansing, Michigan. Worked for a station in Lansing, the call letters are WITL. It's a, a country station. So I've been a disc jockey for quite a long time. I worked for WSM 650, which is the oldest country station in the nation. I worked there for just about four years, was able to spend time with a lot of the country artists like Johnny Cash and um, Merle Haggard and uh, Waylon Jennings and a lot of the old country singers. And I was able to interview a few of these guys on the air. And just having the opportunity to work for WSM 650, which is known uh, as America's country music station, that was a phenomenal experience. And I also believe that helped me with what I'm doing today and being the announcer for the uh, telecast. You know, as far as helping me in the aiding of uh, getting better as an announcer and working towards that goal of uh, putting forth the effort to do it, I would have to say that the, the Spokesman Club has really helped me because a lot of things that they teach you in Spokesman Club and those young men out there, if you get an opportunity to be a part of Spokesman Club, I, I'm going to tell you my suggestion to you is do it because a lot of things you learn in Spokesman Club will help you if you ever want to become an announcer will help you in developing your skills as an announcer in Spokesman Club they have the vocal exercises you know the round the rugged rock the ragged rascal ran that kind of a thing helps with enunciation inflection now the difference between just talking as an individual uh, versus talking like that or doing the announcing the difference between that is when you're doing the uh, announcing you have to use the diaphragm. You know, God Almighty gave us a diaphragm. Everyone has a diaphragm. And that diaphragm is used in many different facets of announcing. And also, if you're a, a musician, you have to use the diaphragm and use that, that air capacity exercise there to be able to, to uh, push the air across the diaphragm up through the vocal cords and put more power into it. I'll give you an example of uh, pushing air across the diaphragm. I'm talking normal now. I'm going to dig deep. And now I'll do a part of the telecast. For the free literature offered on today's program, send your request to Tomorrow's World. I think the, uh, the greatest change has come to my programming uh, since we've gone to the new set. I bought some glasses, special glasses, just so I can read the teleprompter and then drop my eyes down. They're uh, multifocal. Glasses, so I can drop my eyes straight down and read from the Bible. Also, the new teleprompter we've got is bigger and we get more words on it. And that was probably the, the hardest thing for me before. The teleprompter was something I was a little bit concerned about, only because I've n I'd never done anything like that. And I remember when I was preparing for the audition, one of the things I did to try to, to get ready was I had worked up my script. I had written the script I wanted to use, and I put it on my computer, and I had a mouse with a scroll wheel. And I would kind of back up at a distance, and I would at a distance, and I would try to use the teleprompter with the scroll wheel. And I thought two things: one, it was going to be difficult to learn how to do that. But then, secondly, whoever was going to, because I couldn't even keep track of myself, I couldn't keep it where I wanted it. And I said, whoever's going to be doing that has to be a person who really is in tune with the speaker. And Monica Cormier is incredible at that. It's amazing. There's there's times in when she does the teleprompter. I wonder how did she know I really was going to stop there? How did she know I was going to do that? And you don't have to worry about it. You just get up there and do your job because she is so in tune with the speakers. And I know that's a challenge because the four of us can be so different and yet she keeps track and uh and uh, i'm sure uh, i try to give her a good a healthy ribbing like a sister in christ you know and she puts up with me which isn't always the easiest thing to do uh, monica cormier of course uh, works with a teleprompter she's just smooth it's almost as if she's not here when i'm reading the teleprompter uh, she's just a beautiful servant and serves in many other ways in the local church area as well Monica is the sweetest, kindest, most patient secretary I've ever had. 
uh, in about 15 or 20 secretaries over perhaps uh, 50 years, and uh, she is younger than all my children and younger than my daughters, but I almost think of her as another daughter, but she's very sweet and very kind and uh, puts up with me and helps with my foibles, and I deeply appreciate her. My wife and I both love her and are grateful for her. So as time went on, we were able to add more production setups and individuals. We hired Dylan King and Keith Rideau from California, who had had expert uh, experience in this area. And so now we have a team with four directors. Mr. King is working mainly with the behind the work and other church uh, special projects and doing a superb job in that area. And, of course, uh, Keith Rideau and Sue Ruddleston and Thomas Bacher, the other three directors working on the television programs Tomorrow's World and other special projects. The television production cycle and procedure is very challenging because we do our in-house closed captioning and we do submasters for many different stations with different phone numbers, with different addresses for Canada, the United States, the Caribbean, the Philippines, Australia, and around the world. So the demands on our production flow are very strong and very, very intense. So we're very pleased with our staff, and we're still working on new uh, flow of production with the high definition. Working with Tom Baca is just an absolute pleasure. Uh, this man is very sweet, and he's incredibly knowledgeable about film and video and sound. He has the whole package. He knows, he knows his skill, and he knows how to put it all together into a complete product. Most of what we do is just basically the management of the resources and the time of when we're doing what, because there's deadlines. So we have to just make sure that we, that we don't, as, mu as much as we would love to spend a lot of time on one specific area, sometimes we have to just say, well, you know, this is as much time as we can spend on it. Um, if there's problems, we try to fix that equipment, uh, replace it or, or have it fixed. Just make sure everything's working correctly for the presenter so they can come in and, and present God's truth and, and we can do the editing and post-production. We have what's called an, an avid unity. It's, it's in the past been also known as a, a land share. It's basically a centralized storage system where we have, I believe, six different AVID suites where we have uh, two or three telecasts being done. We have a behind-the-work project being done or LU work being done, sermons being done simultaneously. So with this centralized system, now we can put something in one time and have six different systems be able to go and access that. So it's, it's very... It's very time smart, it's very cost effective, and it's, it's been a, a tremendous blessing for the work to have that Unity uh, land share system. We shoot the telecast and record the telecast in 16 by 9 high definition on optical disc on XD cam, which is what CBS also uses, so it's, it's a tried and, and true format. Editing on Avid is um, so much nicer than editing the old way. We can make more edits, seamless edits. Um, use more graphics and we can clean up a lot of audio artifacts or video color problems anytime there's a cut or an edit that they need to do it's much easier we don't lose a generation by putting it straight to tape like we used to it's a it's a lot of fun it's a, a lot of challenge um, a lot of uh, a big learning curve but it's it's a lot of fun one of the first things that we need to do when we capture the program is apply color correction. And the reason for this is because uh, the cameras and uh, the lighting and all the equipment that we use isn't perfect. It's really high quality equipment, but it's never going to be perfect. So what you wind up with is uh, colors that are slightly off, just slightly, or else the contrast, the black and white, the darker and lighter shades are a little bit off. Color correction when editing is very important. I think a lot of people think I'm better at it than most, probably because I'm not colorblind like some of the guys in our office. She comes in and she color corrects my stuff all the time because I'm colorblind. And she's really great at that. And uh, so I can sit there and I'll be, I, might be looking at, uh, uh, I might be looking at myself and I look 
blue or purple, and I wouldn't really know the difference. But uh, I always have Susie come in and check because um, I am color impaired and she is not. But color correction is important other than the aesthetic, enhancing the video or um, creating an effect. It's really important to make sure we're broadcasting at uh, safe regulations. There's frequencies involved with colors and we need to make sure that we're legal in our broadcasting colors, our blacks and our colors and our whites. So that's the main reason. The rest of it is just, you know, for aesthetics and effect. In the TV industry, you can imagine everything works on a tight schedule. When you look at TV listings, it says a program's going to start at 7.30. It starts at 7.30. And the next program starts at 8. It starts at 8. You can't assume that TV station is going to make the next program start at 8.01. It's, it's on a strict schedule. So uh, we buy airtime in those 30-minute units so that we can fit the program in. And so when you add up the intro, the booklet offers, and the end credits, you're left with a certain amount of time that you can use to fill up that half hour and it winds up being 28 minutes and 30 seconds exactly and the way we do it we cut it down and we edit it and we shave off little bits here and there so that it's exactly 28 minutes and 30 seconds and that's accurate to within a 30th of a second when you're watching the program you'll notice periodically the title of the booklet comes up on the screen along with a phone number and the website address uh, that is something that we try to put in there every, we try to get it in there about every three minutes or so. And that's just so that people who are watching can have many opportunities to call to request the booklet. As the program gets distributed all over the world, it needs to have different contact information. So we make sure that we have all of that covered. I think we have about 17 or 18 of them right now, different phone numbers, different information, different addresses, and so we send those out, and we have to make sure that we have every part of the world and every channel, every network that the program is on covered. And so the submaster process involves primarily doing that, making sure the contact information is correct. When each of the editors has all or nearly all of their text up on screen in the edit, they'll call me and I'll come over and I'm an extra pair of eyes to look at the scriptures to make sure there aren't glaring typos or a mistaken citation. If there's a quotation from some figure, we'll go back and verify that it's being presented accurately. By working with each of the editors, I try to help them have as much internal consistency within each program so that the decision that was made about how a chart looks in the third minute of the program sets an expectation that if you've done something wildly contradictory with the same text in minute 13, it will jar. Not too long ago, we used a process where we would make each submaster on a tape, which we would hand over to Lara Prejean, and he would do the duplication. But now we go straight from the editing system as the, as the master control unit, and uh, we... we dubbed straight from the editing system. So we, we're, every tape that we make now that goes out is a first generation. There's no loss. It's, it's not a copy. It's an original. And so that has definitely improved the quality of the program. For the telecast, we make approximately 220 different pieces of media that we send out to the different television stations. We also uh, send out, we make the DVDs for the sermon videos, and we make about 350. I make duplications of just the CDs. I make about 725 CDs for each sermon. I make 130 CDs for the Spanish brethren and about 50 CDs for the French-speaking brethren. Well, the, the sermons help keep the brethren in touch with headquarters. They, it, it's important so that they hear what, what our ministers are saying too and the brethren 
that are shut in and, and live too far away from the services or they're in a nursing home and they can't attend services, it's a vital link to them. For those of you who watch sermons in your congregation that we send from headquarters, you may notice from time to time that there's been an edit. Sometimes the sermon will go over and it needs to be edited down a little bit in order to fit it onto a CD. Um, and other times uh, there will be something in a sermon where uh, a minister will say, you know, I said this in my sermon and I really didn't mean it that way. I meant another thing. Uh, it's, it's just as human beings when we're speaking, uh, we don't always say exactly what we're thinking in our head. And once in a while something will be said that just doesn't make sense to the speaker himself. If a minister says Sunday instead of Saturday by accident, you can imagine it being on the web and uh, uh, someone going, well, they said Sunday. Um, so sometimes they'll say, well, can you, can you take that part out because I, I said the wrong word or this or that. Um, but the, we, don't, we, we, we very minimally edit the sermons. I'm over the maintenance of this building, and as, as you know right now, we're still in the middle of getting the kitchen fixed, hanging cabinets, getting countertops put up, and installing a dishwasher. Moving into the media department was quite exciting. I like new challenges, and, and this has been quite a challenge, uh, learning the new, the new uh, Avid software and just getting a feel for what it's like working in the TV studio, especially during the Tomorrow's World telecast program. It's really exciting to see Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames shooting the telecast and being able to be a part of that. Uh, it's, it's really been exciting. The transition was a fairly easy transition because everyone here, we're all like family. In this new studio, obviously, we have these LCD monitors. We put we have Blu-ray players, and we want to display everything, obviously, because we're recording, especially mainly for the telecast in HD, so we wanted it to display in the monitors at the best resolution possible. So we have Blu-ray players, and we make Blu-ray discs of the graphics. There's an example uh, behind me there of different graphics that we create. We have little players. You can't see them. They're hidden behind there. we got three Blu-ray players that are right behind uh, the monitor there, uh, and a little... Uh, a little uh, case there, metal case there, carrying the Blu-ray players that are hidden somewhere in the set here somewhere. Uh, the other two large monitors, they're hidden behind the, the pillars over there in different parts of the set. In the telecast, and you see what we call the title monitor, that's the far monitor off where you see the title of the program now on the new programs on the new set. We have the title of the program in there. Occasionally in that monitor, that's also where we cue information, and then we can blow it up, we can make it go full screen. Uh, different, just different ways of transitioning, of being able to illustrate something that the presenter or the speaker uh, wants to illustrate. I do a lot of the camera work on the program. Uh, basically, we have right now uh, mainly a one-camera setup. Dylan King uses another camera for uh, certain shots, over-the-shoulder, looking at the Bible, that kind of thing. But there's the main one camera. And as the presenters move around the set, you know that they walk around. Sometimes they'll walk over to the three-screen set or they'll walk over to the title screen. You just follow them over, and they do a little trick where they, they kind of turn their shoulder first, and then they start to walk so that they give the cameraman a little signal that, okay, I'm about to walk. So then you follow him, and you change the zoom setting so that when he gets where he's going to be, it's framed correctly. A few years ago, regulations required that all stations or most of the major stations, um, their programs had to be closed captioned. So that put a responsibility on us where we had to close caption, which is essentially very similar to subtitling. It's encoding the, uh, the transcript or script of the program, what they're saying, or music or sound effects, and it's typing that or importing it from a script. And it is um, time-stamped or encoded on a video line. And most TVs, you have the option to turn that on or off, like subtitling, and it's for the hearing impaired. And without that, the stations wouldn't be allowed to um, show our program. So they couldn't broadcast it. So to get the gospel out, we, we want to comply with that. And it is very helpful 
the hearing impaired? Of course, it's it's all brethren. We have our, we, our entire uh, Tomorrow's World telecast crew and, and the sermons. Everything we have is, is, is done here with, with brethren. Working here at headquarters is an incredible privilege. Uh, it's an honor to be in God's work. Uh, all of us are... Um, Everyone, everyone in the church is taking some part in God's work. Uh, but being here is very exciting. It was just six years ago that I saw Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames on the telecast. I had never heard of a church of God, never heard of, of, of the living church of God or tomorrow's world or, or any bit of the truth, really, for that matter. And uh, was watching that telecast and, and thinking, wow, this is, this is really Interesting. Finally, there are some answers to what's going on in the world and to, to the future, to the future of mankind. Answers that I just couldn't put my, my, wrap my head around until I saw tomorrow's world program. And then just a few short years later, I end up here, uh, working with these gentlemen. Uh, it, it's just an absolute amazing thing to be here. Television is still the most powerful medium in the world, and we have a place on television. At the same time, it is clear there are other media sources that are rising. I personally think in the future that we'll see a merging of a lot of these, that it'll be a much more organic whole. There will be a television presence, and there will be an Internet presence. There will be electronic media, iPods, iPhones, and all of that will be a part of the mix. And the important thing will be not to be missing any particular element. And I think this is the most exciting era that the work has ever seen. God is the, the master of timing. And as world conditions worsen, and as we are doing our job of preaching the gospel to the United States and Great Britain, Australia, Canada, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, as we're doing that, uh, new opportunities will arise. And God's preparing a team to do that job. It's a tremendous job we have to do, and we better be ready to give it this, this dynamic push to finish what God has for us to do. God is the head. God is the one who is guiding us, and God will allow us to finish the work. If not us ourselves, those who, go, who are going to follow us. But I know that we are heading success. Well, of course, we know that we walk by faith and not by sight. And Christ, of course, is the head of the body, the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, the very body of Christ. And we've been so encouraged to see God's hand, Christ's hand, in dealing with open doors and closing doors. Christ opens doors, but he also closes doors. And we have to go forward in faith. It's, I'm reminded, of course, of Elijah who complained, well, Lord, I'm the only one, uh, you know, here serving you. And, of course, God responded by saying, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And we have God's people who are supporting. But Christ opens doors. We've kept up with the technology. We have to work with that. We're very thankful for the open doors and the wonderful responses we're getting. But technology has opened the doors for the Internet and the website. And so over the next few years, we will be more effective in international areas, both in uh, media, television, and also with the Internet. So Christ is the one who is responsible for opening the doors. But we have to make sure we're responsive and that we're dedicated, we're committed, and we're going to follow Christ's lead wherever he leads us. I feel sincerely after a great deal of prayer and meditation and thought about this and talking to others that we are in a kind of a holding pattern or preparatory stage perhaps. God is allowing us to build a foundation here of extremely dedicated brethren in our church that have been sorted out by the trials and tests that have gone on and a dedicated ministry that's been tried and tested. And we're getting ready for the next stage. And I believe the next stage is going to begin soon because world events are coming to a crisis point. It probably won't be too many more years until we will be having uh, food riots and uh, class riots, all kinds of things in this country. And as the communist socialist agenda begins to be enforced more on the American people, they're going to react 
And it's not always going to be funny. It's, it's, it's going to be sad. Other nations are building up as the American and British people come down and our power and prestige. And our American life is already beginning to change and will change dramatically over the next two to five years. So this work will at some point hit the radar screens of the big shots and then we're going to be known and we're going to break through in the way only God can guide to have an impact on our nations and the Western world as a whole. And at that point we will be persecuted, we'll be made fun of, but we will be preaching the truth. Truth is a powerful thing. It's hard to negate as we preach the truth and show it is the truth that is exactly what the Bible says. And we can exactly show that the Bible is what it says because all these prophecies are being fulfilled in detail showing there is a real God behind that book. Then people will be forced to listen. They'll be shaken by the events around them. And we can be a beacon of light to help them realize there is hope ahead. There is a coming world government to be set up under Jesus Christ soon on this earth. And we're preparing the way. And greetings, friends. Welcome to tomorrow's world where you'll gain precious insights into today's news and the real future of this world. My friends, are you personally ready to rule? Think about it. Do you understand the fact that the God of the Bible plans for all of his true followers to help rule this world? For this world virtually cries out for righteous government. Yes, righteous government is one of the most important elements which is truly missing in making this world a happy and prosperous place. This book tells what has happened, what is going to happen, and tells the way of life. You need to understand, the great God indicates that things will very frankly get much worse before he intervenes. For your own good, please begin to wake up and believe the message that has been here in your Bible all these years. For these prophetic events are happening, they're already beginning to affect your life, my friends. We're not talking about the sweet by and by. We're talking about here and now and a government of God to be set up on this earth. And you need to get ready. We're going to have the opportunity to take these awful dictators who crush and torture and rape and humiliate people and bind them. We will rule them with a rod of iron under the direction of Jesus Christ. Not in hate, but to straighten out this world and give the world peace in a way it's never had. And we will be able to bring joy to millions of people, my friends, in the righteous government of Christ when it is set up. For Jesus Christ's government will absolutely rule this entire world. It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. You need to understand. You need to learn and follow that way of life to be there, to help straighten out this world. And so we'll help teach the nations the ways of God. And the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem, which will be the world capital. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war. People have to be taught to hate and kill. They will not learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his fig tree, under his vine, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the eternal of hosts has spoken. Christ's soon coming kingdom will be on this earth very soon, my friends. It's happening. It is absolutely real. Christ's government is the only way we'll have world peace and prosperity. You need to plan your life to be ready to do your part. Learn to believe what your Creator says will happen. This has been a production of The Living Church of God.